Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to another amazing day here on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, coming at you on a beautiful, beautiful Thursday. We've got some exciting things to cover today. Uh, obviously, if you've been paying attention at all to the news, you've heard them talk a whole lot about House Bill 269 proposed by Nick Wilson that deals with uh, incest. We'll dig into that as just points out how stupid our legislative branch is sometimes or just just these people we elect just how dumb they are sometimes and it's not the way you think i know a lot of people are peddling this out there um and kind of taking it out of proportion but no this is just a symptom of just how you know whenever people talk to me about conspiracies i remind myself that these are the same people that do some of the dumbest things on the planet and so we're going to talk about that the House has dropped their budget bill. We're going to go into a pretty sizable discussion on some aspects to that, not nearly all of it. It's uh, you know, 260, 70 pages long, and we're spending a lot of money. And so digging into that's going to take probably a few episodes to dig into some aspects of it, but we will be covering that here today. Also, as well, some lawsuits have been filed in regards to Bashir's continued inability for his Department of Juvenile Justice to at all figure out how to run a prison. I mean, they, their inability at this point, it's it's literally, I do not understand how people can be this incompetent and still continue to be elected and voted for like Bashir or continue to keep their job like the people he's got in charge. I'd say continue to keep their job, but he's been through so many of them. I mean, He's not really actually, they're, they're not really keeping their jobs. But anyways, I digress. But before we dig in to all of that here, big, big day in front of us. We're going to wrap back around to House Bill 269. Make sure, though, you're telling others about the show. If you want to reach out to the show, feel free to email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. Now, longtime listeners, and by long time, I mean as long as you've been listening at least uh, two days. We'll know that um, I, I recently did a show where I was talking about how just they have no plan. You know, these these are governments, our legislators, they don't have a plan. And um, it, it just becomes more and more obvious. You may remember I've talked about the the first bill that's set most likely to pass both chambers is dealing with a bill that they passed last year that had a writer in it saying that if you owned less than, five acres of land, uh, you still had to go get a hunting and fishing license in order to hunt and fish on your land. This was a new rider that they passed last year. Uh, and when it was discovered that they passed this, they're like, oh, our bad. We didn't mean to. You caught us with our pants down. We don't actually read the bills. So House Bill 269, this bill that's getting a lot of hoopla in the media, as uh, it says it's legalizing people to have um, engage in, in, in relations with their cousins. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it is just a, a better example of the saga. So I've talked to a few legislators, 
about this, about how this came to be. And here's here's the story here. Here's the deal. Okay. So last year, I do believe they passed a bill in order to uh, strengthen some of the provisions and some of the punishment for people committing what we normally think of as incest. So we're talking about, you know, fathers, mothers, uncles, aunts, you know, having non-consensual Congress with minors. That's what we think of when you think of incest. That's what you typically think of some disgusting pieces of trash, you know, like that. But, but that is actually not um, the only thing that incest is. Incest is just any family members immediately engaging in Congress. And this bill appears to be striking cousins from the list of what is illegal. Now, it's kind of a mistake that they filed this, but rewind to last year. So they filed a bill in order to strengthen incest charges. And they put forward one bill, and then they forgot. They they said, oh, man, this bill is doing something we don't want it to do. This bill is... Um, you know, it's, it's attacking objectively speaking, a 40 year old dad, um, engaging in absolutely disgusting behavior with his daughter is objectively disgusting and awful and terrible and significantly somehow worse than the other disgusting, awful, terrible act of two cousins to like 16 year old cousins engaging in acts with one another. However, under the law that they passed, they're treated almost basically not almost they're treated as the same as I understand it, that those two horrible, disgusting things that are both disgusting, but one is clearly significantly worse than the other, but they're treated the same way. And so this bill was attempting to fix that because the original provision that they put forward, um, they said, hey, we need to file a committee substitute to swap that bill out. But when it went to the floor, they thought apparently that they were voting for the committee substitute, which just goes to show you, once again, they do not pay attention. These people are stupid. They are not reading their bills. They are not more intelligent than you or I. They're just people. Just keep that in mind as you're as you're talking to people, dealing with people. Keep in mind that these are, are these legislators are not smarter than us. Clearly, clearly, because once again, this is twice now last year that they passed something they didn't mean to pass because nobody read it. Once again, so in order to fix that, they asked for a fix this year. And the way bill writing works is legislators turn in a request to LRC, Legislative Research Commission. They go through, they draft a bill. And then uh, you look it over, you say, yep, good to go. They submit it and then yada, yada, yada. That's how it goes. But but for some reason, the Nick Wilson representative, the sponsor of this bill, who, by the way, also won a season of Survivor, like the reality show, I guess the David versus Goliath season, Nick Wilson won. So, you know, already a spectacle. Anyways, um... So he sponsored this bill. Apparently he didn't check it. And there's a mistake in the bill where instead of just saying that doing the awful, horrible act of, you know, uh, of, of 
force forcing yourself onto your daughter is not the same as two cousins, but both are awful. Instead of that getting done, instead the bill manages to just strike cousins completely from the law, legalizing engaging in activities between cousins. And it's just, it's embarrassing, y'all. That's what it is. It's embarrassing. We already have a reputation as, I'm sure this will make national headlines. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. And and look, I don't know how Nick ended up drawing the short straw on this one to fix a bill on incest that could be spun the wrong way. But let, let's go over this again. So you had a bill put forward that you messed up on, initially proposed and messed up on. You didn't double check it. So then you put forward a committee sub but then the committee puts forward the wrong bill and not the committee sub. So the bill that gets passed is the original bill, which nobody read to realize it's the original bill. So then you go to LRC for a fix. LRC puts out a bill, accidentally strikes cousins completely from the law. Instead of reading it and going through it again, you then go forward and propose it. Now, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. How many times? Are they going to not read the legislation that they themselves are proposing and these kinds of embarrassing things happening? How many times is that going to happen before they wake up and realize they maybe need to read the ink on the papers, on the bills that they're passing? Because we, as citizens, deserve more. Well, coming up after this, we'll be digging into part of that there budget bill that's been proposed in the House. Stick with us. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics from a constitutional and conservative perspective. you're back with the andrew cooper Ryder show your source for kentucky politics questions comments concerns feel free to reach out to the show by emailing info at the show.com once again that's info at the show.com now we've seen a number of bills this session taking an aim at dealing with dei diversity equity and inclusion initiatives. Now we've covered ad nauseum on this program, exactly what those words mean and how they're meant to make you feel warm and fuzzy when you initially hear them. But when you dig into the ramifications, when you dig into what the actual thought processes are behind it, it becomes more clear that this is actually a completely evil ideology that is that is created to drive division, created to waste resources while not actually accomplishing anything. And, and part of the reason why it's 40, you know, anybody who's read uh, 1984, one of my favorite books, there's a ongoing motif in the book where razor blades are always very hard to come by. It's very difficult to get razor blades. They're a very uh, sacred and important commodity throughout the book. And Towards the end of the book, they talk about why, and they say, well, you know, when people have excess, when we have all this money in excess and everything else, and then people don't have to be taxed as much, people don't have to give as much, people don't have those things, well, then we end up running into issues of people not needing the government for things. And so there always has to be problems to solve. And so we invent things like war, in this case through the book War, in order to use up metal 
to create this uh, constant struggle for a resource in your life in order to give more control to the government. Very interesting kind of motif. And, and sometimes I feel like, not sometimes, often, I think to myself about how DEI really falls into that category. This phantom menace of racism and 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 people just hating one another based on their skin color that just seems to exist but nobody can exactly pinpoint nobody can point at somebody you know they talk about uh, uh different medical outcomes and in, in you know uh in 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 medicine they talk about different educational outcomes in schooling but yet they don't show us they don't point to a racist teacher they're not like and it's that teacher, that teacher, that teacher, and that teacher that's racist. No, instead they have to invent things like implicit bias and other things in order to sell us on it. Well, we've seen a legislature that seems to at least be inclined to deal with this evil and recognizing it for the bad ideas that they are, taking stabs at it. But you've heard me call out the two sponsors of both bills, one dealing with K-12 education, that's Senator Stephen Meredith and the other, Senator Wilson, who's putting forward the bill to ban DEI in college education, is being very hypocritical, as being the individuals based on their votes, their sponsors, who they've endorsed, that they themselves have forwarded DEI is literally as shortly as just a, a few months ago engaging and forwarding DEI. And so in my conversation about that, and as people have begun to look at it, we say, we're talking about DEI in universities, DEI in public education. What about DEI within our state government? Wouldn't it just be smart to pass a law to go ahead and just outlaw diversity, equity, inclusion, and our dollars being spent on it completely? If you're really against it, wouldn't that be the smart thing to do? When we turn to the budget, we see, once again, an example of how they're using DEI, a real problem that needs to be addressed as something to act like they're accomplishing something while not really doing anything at all. Let me tell you what I mean. So while they're putting forward these bills and supposedly fighting this liberal takeover of our public education through Senate bills, when we look at the budget bill where the money does the talking, when really, as, as Andy Bashir says, that's the budget bill really tells you what your priorities are. We see that they've set aside $4,665,500 of the SEEK fund to provide supplemental pay to teachers in order to get certified by the National Board for Professional Teaching Standards. Over $4.5 million of our dollars being spent to incentivize teachers to get this certification, to get certified by this group. That's pretty big. That's pretty big, you know, uh, uh, supplemental pay. That must mean it's pretty important. 4.5 million, 4.6 million, over 4.6 million. You got 4.6 million? I ain't got 4.6 million to incentivize teachers to get a training, but the state does, so it must be pretty darn important. In fact, the extra incentive is $2,000 a year per teacher, it would appear. Well, outside of having several DEI professionals as a part of their board, and evaluators. These are people who evaluate um, the, the standards. So, so this is a certification. So you go through and you take these courses through them and you demonstrate to them that you're a good teacher through what they say their standards are, and then you get certified. So outside of having the DEI professionals as their board and as members of their certification 
commission. We also see on their board Randy Weingartner, who is the head of the AFT Teachers Union, a gay woman who is married to a rabbi. I'll let that sink in. Gay woman married to a rabbi. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> but and, and on top of that, famously for saying, look, she, she famously has said she really doesn't like students. She likes teachers. She's there for teachers. She's They're not there to uh, protect and forward students. Famous pusher of the lockdowns among schools. Absolutely awful. But it's not just the board that we see that they have this manifestation. We can see how this has seeped through everything. In fact, they include their standards for certification throughout their uh, website. You can find these things. And we're reading now from their school counseling standards. We see not just an entire section dedicated to DEI, but basically the entire handbook is dedicated to DEI. We, the taxpayers of Kentucky, are giving these teachers a $4.6 million set aside for them to go get certified by this group. We have guidance counselors that we're sending to go get certified by this group and giving them two grand a year to do it, paid for by you, that is being approved and pushed forward by our state legislators, not by the liberal school boards, not by your local governments, not by so-called nonpartisan members of the Kentucky Department of Education, but by your so-called Republican leaders, your so-called Republican legislators. And they're shelling this money out. And they have no problem pushing it forward. And so what do we see in this manual? Well, quoting now from them, we see things like through continued research, this is part of their standards, this is what they expect of a certified counselor that we're paying money, extra money for. They say through continued research, reading, and experience, accomplished school counselors have expertise in all aspects of diversity. They possess a thorough knowledge of the stages of racial, cultural, and gender identity and the current literature on the personal and educational issues concerned with various types of exceptionalities. To serve as a model for the rest of the educational community, school counselors realize they must first address their own biases. So within just that few sentences, we see several things. We see one, them, of course, pushing forward this idea of implicit bias. You're all racist, whether you know it or not. Two, we also see them pushing forward uh, this gender identities because, of course, that's a key tenet of DEI involves some of this LGBTQ craziness that your gender can be changed and altered, and it's an identity. It's not what you're born with, but it's an identity. And what do they say? They say, stay up to date on the current literature. Do you think that continued reading and research, what do you think that is? You think that, that you know, something that says maybe um, all these crazy gender crazy people are full of it do you think that would be accepted continued study by this group do you think they would take individuals pushing forward the idea that this lgbtq craziness this having drag queens within the schools are a bad idea research on that do you think they would accept that as continued reading and research because remember in order to be certified you have to show you're doing these things we're paying teachers to go do this. 
They go on also in this handbook to say that uh, age-appropriate prejudice reduction groups, that a good school counselor has teachers and students and puts together a good leader and teacher. This is their own standards, right? The, the certification standards that a good teacher and leader and counselor will create age-appropriate prejudice reduction groups. And guidance counselors should be pushing their schools to implement implicit bias testing in their schools. These are the same ideas that our legislators are claiming that they want to take a stand and fight on. It's, it's, and here they are in their budget bill, 4.6 million funding the very thing they're trying to quote unquote, put a stop to. We wonder why these legislators don't take stronger stands. We wonder why these legislators won't sit there and say, this is inappropriate. We are no longer spending another dime and anybody who does spend a dime will face consequences for it. We don't have to wonder anymore why they won't pass that kind of legislation. We don't have to wonder why they won't take those steps. The evidence right there before us, because if they actually implemented something saying that if you decide to push this crazy liberal ideologies, if you decide to spend our tax dollars pushing forward these ideas, that will be unacceptable and you will face consequences. If they actually took a stand on that and pushed that forward, well, they themselves would find out that, well, they're guilty of it just as much as the so-called Democrats and liberals are within our government. Well, coming up after this, we're going to look at more parts of this budget. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics. you're back with the Andrew Cooperwriter show before the break we started going through talking about a provision of the budget but we're going to we're going to dig a little bit more into this budget now if you want to view the budget bill yourself you can head on over to the legislative research commission's website just search KYLRC KYLRC and look at house bill 6 that's the main budget bill this year the biggest thing you're going to notice right after right off the bat is that the 2024 fiscal year compared to 2025 fiscal year, kind of how it transitions, the 24 to 25. Remember, fiscal year begins in July, okay? And then it goes towards July. So they don't do calendar year. They do a fiscal year in July. So starting this July, the state's budget for the year is a massive $72 billion compared to the 2025 to 2026 budget, so just the following year after that, they're talking about $52 billion for that. And just how massive is this budget? Is this new $72 billion budget? Well, it's $20 billion more than the next year. It's $30 billion more <laughs> than our current year. So not only are they not reducing funding, 
But according to this, unless I'm greatly mistaken, and I'm not, I, I mean, I double checked, we are spending 30 billion more than we did last year on 42. We're almost doubling our budget, almost doubling our budget for the year. And then it comes down where we're just going to spend a measly 10 billion more the following year. But why are we spending $20 billion more this year than we are next year? Remember guys, this is, these are fiscal conservatives, right? Spending 20 billion more fiscal conservatives, spending 30 billion more than last year. Fiscal conservatives spending $20 billion more than they do the next year. So what is this? Where is this coming from? Well, uh, most of this is they're spending another $14 billion more in restricted funds, which means funds meant for specific purposes and projects, not just for general operation uh, throughout the government. And uh, they, they feel that they're doing these one-time work so they don't need to spend it the following year. So... Today, we're going to focus on the budget and what that $14 billion is proposed to fund. Let's see how much need it is, and we'll, we'll, we'll dig into the proposed budget. We'll, we'll dig into more of it tomorrow, but today we're going to talk about some aspects of it. Just kind of the first, I don't know, 50 pages or so we're going to probably look at. So first thing to note comes from the Veterans Affairs Budget. Is this right here with the exception of the Bowling Green Veterans Center construction projects, all state veterans nursing homes must meet a combined 80% bed occupancy rate before any future projects will be considered. Once the 80% threshold has been met, it is the intent of the General Assembly that any further beds allocated from the United States Department of Veteran Affairs or reallocation from the Kentucky Department of Veterans Affairs be dedicated to a veterans nursing home in McGoffin County to serve that area. So that's the first kind of thing to note, uh, only because it's interesting to see. So that was a combined 80% around the state. So let's say you live in Lexington, you go to the veterans um, nursing home there. Let's say you go to Thompson Hood. Uh, you want to stay in the area, but Thompson Hood's at 100%. Well, they won't build another veterans uh, facility for people here in this area. They'll send them elsewhere um, throughout the state, and then they'll go ahead and once once all facilities combined have at least 80% full, well, then they'll build a new one, but only in McGoffin County in order to serve that area, which is, I, I mean, you would think your expectation would be, I mean, these are our veterans. We need to take care of them. And so we shouldn't be moving them all around. We should be trying to keep them as close as we can, because these are nursing homes, as close as we can to their family areas so they actually can be visited and um, not have to, you know, live, be far away from where they used to live, where all their family is, where their, their grandchildren are. We want to keep them close. But apparently we can't do that. Now, we shouldn't really be talking as much about 80% bed occupancy and then saying, and then it gets to McGoffin. Look, if you sit there and you look at it and you say, if we've got the funds, we should build one in McGoffin County to serve the veterans there. We should be, that should be a priority. You know, there's a few things I think that government should do that it doesn't nearly prioritize, which is things like roads and bridges, infrastructure, but also taking care of our veterans, taking care of those who've served in order to protect the very freedoms we take care of. And, and speaking of taking care of the veterans, including in, in, this is also in the veterans uh, budget, 
Included in the above general fund approximately 200000 in each fiscal year is to provide emergency financial assistance to Kentucky's homeless veterans, notwithstanding KRS 45.229, any portion of the general fund not expended for this purpose shall be lapsed into the budget reserve trust fund. So basically what they're saying is that they're, they're putting aside and in, in putting aside 200,000 in each fiscal year to provide emergency financial assistance to the Kentucky's homeless veterans. So you would think that that must mean, Oh, okay. 200,000. That's not a lot. I mean, you got, you know, 14 billion in restricted 72 billion total that you're spending. If you could only find 200 grand for our veterans that are homeless, there must not be that many homeless veterans. That's what I thought. I assumed there just must be not that many. And so I went over to the Kentucky Department of Veterans Affairs website and looked at their homeless veterans portion. This is what it said. It said due to, this is their, their request for financial assistance. This is what it says on the page. Due to the overwhelming request for assistance, Kentucky Department of Veterans Affairs is making the following changes effective January 1st, 2024. All requests for financial assistance must be directed to the KDVA website. Please verify qualification. If you meet the criteria, then complete the attached application. No payments can be sent out of state for rent or security deposits. Utility usage must be in Kentucky. Gathering the needed documents and your responsibility, KDVA is no longer able to talk with landlords, property owners, or attorneys on your behalf. Must submit a full copy of utility bills. Screenshots are not acceptable. Gather the mandatory support documents and submit the application at one time. KDVA is no longer able to provide temporary shelter in a hotel or motel. Hmm. So we only can find $200,000 to fund this organization, taking care of our veterans, those who are willing, volunteered, willing to risk their lives literally for the very freedoms we enjoy. 200,000, that's all we can spare, it seems. And when you go to the KDVA website, it would appear that they, um, they're, they're being overloaded with requests for this kind of financial assistance. This kind of financial assistance. So what could possibly be more important than taking care of our veterans? I mean, surely then there must be very, very important things going on. I mean, maybe it's roads, maybe it's bridges, maybe it's, you know, making sure your pension obligations are shored up. Maybe it's, it's those key things of government, but you would be mistaken because if you were to dig into this budget further, you start to see quite a lot of places where we are ridiculously spending money where, you know, we have examples all over the place. For an example, we see at the auditor's office based upon their authorized amount for a lease, it would appear that the auditor is leasing office space in Frankfurt. That is the most expensive office space currently in Frankfurt. Apparently, according to the amount they're putting aside for the auditor's offices in Frankfurt. So we'll be We'll be digging into that. I'm going to dig into that, take a real good look at that. After this short break, you're listening to the Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics. If you want to reach out to the show, feel free to reach out at uh, info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com.
And you're back with the Andrew Cooperetter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Thanks for joining us all. Please make sure you're sharing this out with others as we dig through some of these important things over the next few days. We will be covering that proposed budget. We've talked about parts of it as we've dug in. We've we've covered some of their funding uh, behind DEI. We've covered some of their funding to deal with uh, veterans or lack thereof. Now we're going to talk about where they are spending their money because apparently it's not on the veterans. For this first, we turn to the auditor's office, um, which the lease seems pretty expensive. So included in the general fund they have for the auditor, they have set aside $397,500 for fiscal year 2024 to 25 and $367,500 in fiscal year 2025 to 2026 to support increased costs for an office lease. Now, what's interesting here is that that amount drops $30,000. And normally leases go up, not down when, you know, over the years, but putting that to the side. So the $39,500, that's a $33,000 a month lease. So I said, man, $33,000 a month are, they must be renting like a giant warehouse or something like that's, that's pretty expensive. They've, you know, at standard kind of Frankfurt rates, you would say that they must be leasing right around about mm, 33,000 square feet. I mean, if you go out there and run an office right now, you're going to pay about a buck a square foot a month in Frankfurt. And when you get into larger square footage spaces, that price goes significantly lower uh, than a buck a square foot. You start getting into 75 cents a square foot. So I said, wow, they must be renting a pretty sizable place, maybe 40,000 square feet or so. Well, according to the auditor's website, their offices are located at 208 St. Clair Street in Frankfurt. Uh, something that is also backed up by a listing on LoopNet because apparently there's some availability within the very same building itself. And it does list that the auditor's office takes up the first three floors. So according to LoopNet, the top two floors of the building of the auditor's office is currently for rent. So that means they have three bottom floors. The entire building is 33,000 square feet. That's the entire building, including the two floors they're not getting. So according to LoopNet, the auditor's office leases approximately 19,000 square feet, according to the amount of square footage they have per floor. So at $39,397,500 a year, that's $21 a square foot a year. Now, according to LoopNet, that would be the most expensive office space currently available to rent in Frankfurt, and it's not even close. That is 24% higher than the next closest rent rate I could find. $17 a square foot. That was the next closest office space rate I could find, and that was on a smaller office space where you don't have a volume discount. It just seems high, doesn't it? I mean, shouldn't sh should the government really have the most expensive rented space in town? I mean, they're spending twice as much on rent for the, the auditor's office than they're spending on veterans per year that are homeless. That doesn't make much sense, does it? Another part of this, because we hear the Democrats always talking about them not properly funding transportation, how the how the Republicans are not funding transportation 
properly. Well, amongst the SEEK formula, which is the formula that funds a course student education, uh, we see that they've set aside $318 million $898,600 in fiscal year 24 to 25 and 358 million. So an increase of $40 million for fiscal year 25 to 26 to support pupil transportation over $300 million, almost three and a, over three and a half million dollars, $350 million in 25, 26, but over $300 million set aside to support People transportation. So next time they say Republicans aren't funding this well enough, well, you just go tell them, look, that's over $350 million is what they set aside for 25, 26. I think that's plenty um, because, you know, at the end of the day, the bus drivers aren't claiming they need more money. They're claiming they need a district that actually supports them. Now we're going to dig into more of this budget tomorrow. So make sure you're tuning in, but I want to switch gears real quick to Bashir's juvenile justice department of corrections who's just constant attack on treating children in their custody fairly, especially little girls, fairly and ethically is just absolutely atrocious. It, I, it is next level, the amount that Bashir's administration over the last four years, this isn't just like a new thing and occasion. This is absolutely ridiculous, specifically when it comes to women. The amount of sexual assaults that have been perpetrated by male prisoners on female prisoners because he was housing them together because that's what Bashir decided to do is ridiculous. And now we find out that this uh, woman facility, so they're supposed to build a special purpose, women only, girls only, juvenile detention center uh, near Louisville. And then they decided, well, we're going to go ahead and just, we'll take the Adair County facility. We'll make that for juvenile females only that are in prison. And so you may remember the riots, the issues. So he, he steps in and says, look, we're going to do something about it. So you'd think that surely they'd learn their lesson. You would think that surely uh, this Adair County facility must have gotten their act together but you would be sorely mistaken in a suit recently filed by current and former inmates. We get a more gruesome picture of what allegedly these girls have had to endure in Adair County. So this is among their claims. They say that detention center staff would often expose girls nakedness to members of the opposite sex, either through conducting the forcible removal of clothing or by withholding clothing while in view of employees and other detainees. Male staff regularly conducted cell checks on girls that were being detained without clothing. In what situation do you have a female juvenile? Keep in mind, these are, are, are girls. These are girls under 18. These are young, young girls. Not young, young, but these are young girls. And what situation do we have girls being detained without clothing on? Unless they're literally like, I'm not putting on the clothing. <laughs> I'm refusing to do it. Why, why are we in the situation to begin with? We have another allegation here that was uh, one youth was held in an isolation cell with the 
doors and windows covered in the Spanish version of the toddler's song, Baby Shark, playing over and over on an audio loop. According to the suit. I mean, this is the kind of stuff CIA does to domestic terrorists. But that's what Andy Bashir is doing to juvenile girls who have broken the law. They have. I'm not saying they haven't. But should they be subjected to, to the same kind of torture that people that plan terrorist attacks and want to bring, bring down American society and kill people with bombs just for the sheer amount of terror? Should they be subjected to the same treatment? Because that's what Andy Bashir is doing. That's what his department is doing. One of the girls in the suit says that she only had access to a shower about 15 times. So she showered less than once weekly over her stay. And on one occasion, she was accompanied to the showers by two male officers. Then following a suicide attempt, this youth was moved, this girl was moved into a padded cell where male employees then cut off her clothing. She then remained in that padded cell for about two months and it had neither a bed nor a functioning toilet. That's what the suit alleges. This girl was initially outfitted with an anti-suicide smock to prevent her from hurting herself, but facility officials later removed it and did not provide her with any other clothing or shower access for about 12 days. 12 days, no clothing, no shower. This is what these girls had to endure and are enduring and continue to under Bashir. I mean, the, the sheer level of failure by this guy alone when it comes to minors. Remember, we had Ken and Frouth and Van that says people sleeping on their office floors for days on end, use that are within their custody due to alleged abuses going on at home, and, and they're not supposed to be there, but they're housing them there without showers and, and proper things. And then we see that our juvenile department, the, the, the juvenile justice detention centers are just being run atrociously. This is just the amount of incompetence is infuriating. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooper Show. Thank you all so, so much for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day.